Hello everyone and a very warm welcome back to the Bristol Walk Fest podcast with me, Pommy Harmer. And today's episode is all about the Ramblers. Let's begin up at Ramblers HQ and find out what they're all about. I'm joined by the Vice President herself, Kate Ashbrook, and I started by asking her to give us a brief history. Well, we were formed in 1935, but before that there were Ramblers Federations, particularly in the North and Midlands, places like Manchester, Liverpool, Sheffield, where Ramblers came together. But it wasn't until 1935 that we coalesced into Ramblers Great Britain. And um, we've been a campaigning body all that time, campaigning for people's rights, freedom uh, of access to the countryside, campaigning for public paths. Uh, So we have a a, a very illustrious history. Just tell me a little bit about what I think everybody knows as the Kinder Scout Mass Trespass. Is it true that the, the Ramblers took a big part in that? No, it's not true. That's a bit of a myth. The Ramblers were not a part of the trespass at all. In fact, we were at the time very concerned about it. Uh, We wanted to dissociate ourselves from it because we felt that it was setting back the cause of access. At that time, landowners were increasingly telling people to get off their land and the moors in the Peak District were being used particularly for grouse shooting and the landowners did not want people walking there. But Ramblers Federations felt that one didn't go barging in trespassing in order to make the point. You tried to negotiate with the landowners. I have to say there was no evidence that that worked, which was why the uh, trespassers trespassed. And personally, I say good on them. But at the time, it was just felt by the more establishment people this was not the thing to do. But I think the fact that five of the trespassers were jailed, which was completely over the top, it's outrageous, it was awful that they were jailed, made people think again and think, actually, this is completely unjust treatment of people who were just walking peacefully over the countryside. And so that did rather galvanise the ramblers into becoming a bit tougher about it. What happened was that in 1939, there was an Access to Mountains bill which um, Ramblers at the beginning thought was going to be helpful, giving access to open country. In fact, it turned out to be a really malicious piece of legislation, which did not give freedom to Rome at all, only in very limited circumstances. And it actually made uh, trespass a criminal offence, for instance, if you went places at night time. So it was a really horrible piece of legislation. And again, the Ramblers, that again, I think kind of galvanised them into realising that they needed to campaign for proper legal access to open country. It was not until 1949, when we had the National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act, that we did get something beginning to approach freedom to roam on open country. But I have to say it was not until the year 2000, when we had the Countryside and Rights of Way Act, that we did actually win the right to walk on certain open country and registered common land. The Countryside and Rights of Way Act which talks about a right to walk on mountain moor, heath and down, is inadequate in that it was uh, achieved by the countryside agency then, which is now Natural England, mapping the areas to which we should have access. And the mapping left a lot to be desired, particularly in the case of downland. So you're in Bristol and uh, you don't have any nearby mountains or you do have some moorlands kind of further west. 
Heath and Down would be the places where you would expect to be able to get access. And Downland, the, the mapping was absolutely miserable. It was just like flicking a paintbrush and getting lots of little spatters of paint. And on the map, you look at that, lots of little spatters of open country, bits of Downland mapped, but very isolated bits and, and not joined up. And when you think, you know, pre-war, the wonderful downlands, particularly in the South Downs, and I'm sure in the Cotswolds as well, quite near you, there would be stretches of open downland where people could roam. We don't have that anymore. And so the land was not mapped. And for people in the lowlands and the south and the east of England, it's, it's quite disappointing, really. What we have is a most wonderful network of public paths, and we would not want to lose that. We, we are so fortunate. You know, we really cherish our path network. It's historic. It takes people from town to country and country to town, and um, it marks the old ways to school and church and over the fields. So our history is written in our path network, and we would like to see the paths, you know, in really good order. They're public highways. The surface is owned by the local authority, and uh, you mustn't obstruct them. You mustn't plant crops over them. You know, you've got to look after them if you're a landowner. And, uh, and we can expect that as ramblers. We can expect that and we can call the authorities to open them up and keep them in good order. Of course, the authorities haven't got the money they need to do that, but in law, that's what they're meant to do. Kate, are there any other campaigns you'd like to highlight that the ramblers are involved in? Well, we've been very much involved in the England coast path and uh, being where you are, you know, that's, that does, people of Bristol will appreciate that, which has been run by Natural England. We were kind of responsible for getting that into legislation you know that was one of you know one of our visions to have a path all the way around England and so we've our volunteers have been absolutely brilliant working with Natural England to sort out the best route and that should be complete I think the year after next is the aim 2024 and it's a great achievement and in Wales there is already a Wales coast path again ramblers were very much involved in that which celebrates its 10th anniversary this year and Scotland with its land reform act it does already have access around its coast although physically I'm not sure you can actually get to all the coast in fact I'm quite sure you can't all the way around but uh, it is a brilliant thought to think we can walk right round the edge of our islands. You know, it's just wonderful, a wonderful campaign. Now, I saw your eyes light up when you were talking about walking. Where do you like to walk? Where's your neck of the woods? Where's your favourite sort of go-to spot for a good long tramp? Well, I, I live in the Chilterns, so I'm very lucky. I can walk out of my door onto beautiful downland and through wood. But my love is Dartmoor, so that's in your direction and beyond. That's where I first really kind of discovered wild country. And uh, I just love Dartmoor. So I will walk there for happily for hours. Just a beautiful place. But I, I, what, what is amazing about these islands is that there is so much variety in places you can walk. You don't have to go very far uh, to get something completely different. You know, you can pop down to the Isle of Wight or you can pop up to the Peak District or Snowdonia. Everywhere's fairly within reasonable distance and just the most amazing countryside. The Ramblers is obviously a very forward-thinking organisation and, and I've seen on your website that in July this year you've got a new CEO starting, yes. Ross Maloney, who's coming from the Scouts to yes. lead the Ramblers. So what do you hope that he will bring? Oh, well, he will, he will bring a lot of fresh ideas, but he will also bring a knowledge of youth, which uh, we certainly need. And I think he will also bring... Uh, the knowledge of how to reach other communities. We are really keen that 
everybody should discover walking and that we should be welcoming to everybody. So I think we have a lot to learn there. We need to learn from the communities that we're not reaching. And I'm sure he will help us to do that. So we're all very excited about the appointment and uh, look forward to him joining us. Thank you very much, Kate, for joining me today and coming on the podcast. A pleasure, and I hope you have a wonderful festival. Thank you. Now let's turn to the Bristol Ramblers and hear from Sam Perry, who's been a member for a couple of years and likes to do the longer walks. I asked her why she joined. I was um, originally kind of recovering from a back injury, so I was keen to get fit and I was looking for some kind of low-impact exercise seeking some adventure and, and to be honest, minimum planning <laughs> on my part, exploring new areas. And I had a really tight budget because I was saving for a house. So I was hoping it was one of the cheapest, and it was, one of the cheapest way to stay fit. And has it helped your back? It really has, yes. It just keeps it kind of really functional and definitely the endorphins after a kind of finishing a walk is kind of a natural pain relief. So definitely, definitely helps. What sort of places do you go? My favourite place is the Black Mountains, where we can do the good kind of hill walks. Oh, so you've got good lungs. Well, we're working on it, definitely. You'll be amazed. If people, when they arrive, they, they think they're not going to be able to keep up or, you know, you've got to be super fit. But, you know, just by doing these walks, you're naturally getting fitter um, every time you do them. So you always surprise yourself. Yeah. So have you always been a walker or is this a new thing for you? I dabbled a little bit in the Duke of Edinburgh Award in the last year of the Gold Award, but unfortunately, due to kind of going to uni and moving around a lot, I never kind of finished it. So kind of did that when I was 18 and then kind of got back into walking when I was like about 32. So <laughs> there was kind of a bit, bit of a gap in the middle. <laughs> so Sam, do you go for the chat? Yeah, I, I love the social. Well, to be honest, I'm slightly introverted as well. So the best thing about the Ramblers is that, you know, it's really sociable, but you also have time for some headspace. You know, if you wanted to come along and just walk silently, you've, you've got that option. So and if you wanted to have a chat, then, oh, my gosh, I couldn't even tell you what we chat about. I talk about the most random things and I've learned so many things. What do you do when you're not walking? I'm a nurse in South Mid Hospital. Oh, that's a hard job. <laughs> it definitely keeps me busy. So you must have been extra hard worked during this last two years with the pandemic. Yeah, it's, well, to be honest, I don't think anyone's kind of um, got through it very lightly. But for a while, I, I did get redeployed into ITU. And what I got out of it was the love that was shown by everyone. And, you know, that will stay with me forever. But I was glad that I could, you know, I could do something to help. Oh, gosh, Sam, well done you. And I guess the walking you did all the way through that time, did you? Yeah, so when we when we were allowed to meet up, I mean, I, I feel like I owe a lot to the Ramblers because um, I really appreciate the, the benefits of walking and then hearing other people's lockdown stories. You know, it helped me see the bigger picture. Um, I stayed grounded and I had a chance to kind of have a breakaway and appreciate what I really did have. And lots of people say that joining a group is a good way of making new friends. Do you think that's true? Oh, gosh, definitely. I mean, the people that I meet on a regular Sunday now, they kind of become my extended family. I'm sure they've heard me moan <laughs> and groan quite a lot over the last kind of two years. But 
I've had so many opportunities that have arisen from meeting these new people. One of the Ramblers kind of helped me found my first house and I was invited to a charity walk and to help save the curlews. And I, I spent a whole day with uh, singer-songwriter David Gray. Um, I've had DIY tips and, you know, what's the best boiler to buy? And it's amazing to kind of have that kind of social connections and networking. Is there anything, Sam, that you don't like about the Ramblers or about walking? One thing, but I can't even say that's a bad point. It's the wake-up time on a Sunday. I've got to be there for 8am. <gasps> I know. And you wake up and I might be the most grumpiest person thinking, gosh, why am I even doing this? It's 8 o'clock on a Sunday. But I tell you what, 15 minutes starting that walk, I am a new person. I'm refreshed. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm inspired and yeah, it's like all my worries melt away. So, and if that's the only bad point that I can say about walking, then it's it's truly, truly not that bad. <laughs> and what about the weather? Are you a fair weather walker or will you go out in all weathers? Well, probably initially I was a fair weather walker. And then, you know, you kind of get a little bit, oh. Well, you know, if other people can walk out in the rain, then, you know, why can't I? And I think as long as you're well equipped, it's amazing what you can do. And, you know, I've gone through wind and rain and the equipment's not that expensive. As long as you have some good boots and a good raincoat, the rest you can you can buy pretty cheaply. So I'll never be put off with the weather. As long as they say it's going, you get quite competitive and you kind of go, oh, Okay, I, I challenge myself. I will, I can walk out in the rain. <laughs> oh, fantastic, Sam. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and telling us about your walking and what it means to you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Sam mentioned the importance of having good boots and waterproofs. And so I thought this would be a good time to find out more and who better to give us some advice than Nigel Andrews, who joined the Ramblers back in 1992 and has led more than 400 walks all over the UK. So Nigel, before you set out on a walk, what do you put in your rucksack? Right, okay, well a basic first aid kit, spare clothing, particularly in the hills. I also have a small survival bag I take with me for hill walking. Compass, a map obviously. Then depending on the season, um, I mean, it may be, I've got a couple of hats are wearing winter because of course a lot of heat can get lost through the head so that's important ditto gloves so it varies from season to season spare pair of boot laces boot laces have been known to stop in inconvenient places what about a head torch do you take that one of my sadder things is if you name me any day of the year i'll tell you what time it gets dark but uh even with that knowledge it can get dark well before sunset so um yeah head torch very good idea. What do you recommend to people who haven't bought their first pair of walking boots? What do you recommend they do? If you're trying it out, you obviously don't want to spend a huge amount of money. So whether you want to invest in a pair of walking boots to start with, it's going to depend on your likelihood of sticking with walking and, of course, um, your budget. Comfort is everything, of course. Uh, you certainly want something that is not going to let in every little bit of water going. So you could try starting in a really decent pair of trainers. The other thing you want to think about is your own physique. Some people are more prone to um, 
twisted ankles and that sort of thing. And I, I am, so I speak from experience. So those people will want some support. So a boot might be better for them. A lot of people come from a running background to, to walk. So, you know, providing conditions are dry and the walk is going to be too technical or too onerous, they might well be able to start off and train us, see how they get on and then take it from there. But um, this would only be for a few walks. Once people actually get the bug and want to, uh, to walk more frequently, that's the time to start thinking about getting footwear that will be appropriate to all the seasons and all the possible conditions that, that we meet. Absolutely. And then, then that's quite exciting when you get your first pair of proper boots, isn't it? So moving on to keeping dry. That's the other kind of major thing is how do we keep dry and comfortable? What do you recommend for, for someone who probably hasn't ever bought a, a, one of those technical, windproof, waterproof, Gore-Tex, all those sorts of words come into being, don't they? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, well, this, the whole theory is based around three layers of clothing. So the closest to the skin is could be technical gear. The idea is to wick perspiration away so that um, uh, you don't feel uncomfortably sticky for the duration of the walk. So that's the first layer. The second layer is the middle layer. That's where you put on something for warmth. And the third layer is what's going to protect you against rain, snow, sleet, whatever. So you've got inner, middle and outer. Now, again, starting off, I suspect most people starting off walking on their very first walk aren't going to choose a fairly pleasant day. So if there isn't any rain forecast, then just something really quite straightforward. It's the same as the footwear. Check your night walking first and you're really going to enjoy it and want to take it further before investing in the gear. There is plenty of good advice on the internet, both from shops that sell gear. Our own Bristol Ramblers website has um, advice on um, what to consider. There are, of course, a couple of things famously to avoid, which beginners sometimes aren't aware of. Jeans, definitely not a good idea, particularly in wet weather. And just thinking of that inner layer, cotton's not great either because you might have excessive perspiration. That's where the wicking tops I was talking about a few minutes ago come into their own. Oh, okay. So we've got our three layers. We've got our comfy shoes. Now, the next question is poles or no poles? Does it matter? Well, that's entirely a personal thing. I must say I'm a big fan of poles. In my part of my activity CV is 25 years of running, and um, the knees now protest somewhat bitterly. I remember just before my last marathon, I'd, I'd done a long training run the previous day and then did a hill walk on the Sunday with a 2,000-foot descent at the end of the day. My knees were threatening, certainly a work to rule, and not far off an outright strike. So, yes, poles are great in those circumstances. Certainly if you're going to go into the hills... Or another uh, situation, muddy conditions with descents. Poles help a great deal. We'll hear more from Nigel in a future episode. But now, how about hearing from another rambler, this time Ian Bickerton, who kindly joined me on Zoom from his holiday in Edinburgh. And he's a person who likes the shorter walks. I've been in the Ramblers for 
on and off, I think, probably for maybe 30 years. I, I did a lot of walking as a child. My parents were really keen on it. They used to walk particularly in the Isle of Wight. So it's in my blood. I will walk longer distances, but my preference, to be honest, is about five to seven miles. I, I'm very happy with that for a number of reasons. One is that I just enjoy something reasonably leisurely. A bit of challenge, obviously. And secondly, I'm quite happy not to use up the whole day walking. A half day is great for me and then I can do other things later in the day. And where do you like to go? Where's your favourite neck of the woods? I mean, all around Bristol, really. For example, down in the Mendips, the Quantocks, and then into Gloucestershire. I mean, I know some really lovely walks. I lead some lovely walks in Gloucestershire. And then into Wales, because it's so easy to pop into Wales now. So can I just ask one question about the shorter walks? You you mentioned that they don't take all day. So do you have to be quite a fast walker to do them? Or? No, not at all. I mean, obviously, you have to have a reasonable standard of fitness, but nothing exceptional. If you think you can walk five, six, seven miles at a reasonable pace, then that will be absolutely fine. And we do stop once or twice for a coffee break. But generally, those Wednesday and Saturday walks are not at great pace. They're sort of moderate pace, I would describe it. And do you ever devise brand new walks that no one's done before? Like, I mean, obviously, the, they've walked the footpaths, but put them together into a new walk. I have to admit, I have done tried that once or twice, and it has slightly backfired. <laughs> if you go to an area like, for example, Fayland, which is sort of south southwest Bristol, there are loads of footpaths there, so putting together a walk like that is really easy. If you try it in some other areas, maybe further afield, it can be quite complicated. And the footpaths, sometimes, I have to say, sadly, they're on an ordnance map, but when you get there, they've been blocked off or they appear not to exist at all. So I do tend to go to walk books, establish routes, and maybe vary them a little bit as well. But yeah, that's what I tend to do. I just want to ask you a little bit about leading walks. Presumably you get trained to do that, do you? I have done training courses, yes. More specifically around leading walks, making sure that all the walkers are safe, making sure they're always in view, pointing a back marker, which I think is really important, particularly when you have a, a big group. But yeah, it's important to get training. And I, I've, I've had a refresher not that long ago, actually. And is that with the Ramblers? Yeah, it's mainly with the Ramblers. I have done training also with Walking for Health, which I think is is sponsored by the Ramblers. And I think that's now changed to becoming wellbeing walks. I suppose the only other thing to say, particularly if you're leading walks, just a couple of things, really. Firstly, for me, uh, other people may you know look at it differently, but roads, I think, particularly busy roads, are one of the particular risks that I always mention and I always do a risk assessment as well I do find you should do unless it's a very straightforward walk at least one recce go and do the walk yourself or with a friend in advance sometimes if it's a bit of a complicated walk I do a couple because there's nothing more embarrassing than going on leading a walk with 15 people and, and taking a wrong turn people who go on ramblers walks have lots of different levels of knowledge um, so you get some people who are, who are really knowledgeable about plants and you get others sort of ornithologists you get all sorts really and there's a high level of knowledge that you, that you find so you can learn a lot from other people in the in the group there's some very uh yeah very knowledgeable people that go walking with the ramblers 
And what's your specialism? I don't know whether I've got one, really. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I'm, I, I haven't really got much in the way of sort of specialist knowledge. I have lived in a lot of different parts of the country, and it's interesting to compare countryside. I mean, Bristol is really good. Obviously, you've got the Mendips and the Welsh Hills uh, Mountains, Black Mountains are great. Mm. I've been discovering the walks around Bath recently. Places like the Langridge Valley, down into Woolley and Langridge and Upper Swainswick, mm. beautiful parts of the world. There's one group in the Ramblers called the Wessex Wanderers, and they've been going for a long time, actually. The basic idea is that you, you catch a train from either Temple Meads at one end, at this end, Bristol end, or from Weymouth, and people do walks from a station and normally back to the same station. So, for example, you know, near uh, uh, Bristol, um, I've been on a number of walks from Avoncliff, circular walks, about seven miles. So people are coming from different directions, turn up at the station and we go for a walk, end up back at the station at the end. I think it's a lovely idea. It's great. Look them up online and, and contact the organiser. So I guess, therefore, if you go on holiday to Yorkshire, say... You could go on mm. a walk with the Yorkshire Ramblers. Yeah, no, I mean, as a walk leader, I often have a call from somebody who said they're just staying in the area, you know, coming down, staying with their family, and they're coming down from, I don't know, Kent or Yorkshire or wherever. Would it be okay to come out with the Bristol Ramblers? And yeah, the answer is yes, absolutely. Mm. So that's a nice network, then, isn't it? It is very good value, the Ramblers, I have to say. There you are, there's a point. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we finish there? Yeah. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to, to Zoom meet you from Bristol to Edinburgh. Yeah. I wish you well. <laughs> and you. Thank you very much indeed. Time for a tea break now. And snacks are one of the most important ingredients in a successful walk. So what do our Ramblers like to take with them? As you'll hear, one of them was especially enthusiastic. What is your favourite snack for taking on a walk? I take loads of chocolate with me, to be honest with you. I tend to, if I'm OK to advertise, sort of a naked bar or something like that. It's got to be malt loaf. Homemade flapjack. If I was really well organised, I would slice it and butter it. <laughs> Cake is a wonderful thing in all walks of life, and I'm very fortunate my wife was a very talented baker. And certainly January and February walks have greatly improved my um, slice of Christmas cake. And sometimes I can negotiate a similar cake for Easter. There are times of the year without such uh, seasonal treats. But uh, yeah, I'm a big cake fan. We have a double act for you now. Keith Budd is a man who organises short evening walks in the summer for the Ramblers. And Crew Raynault has been a walk leader for many years. We hear from Keith first about the walks being organised by the Ramblers for the festival in May. I think we're in a region of about 25 walks which Ramblers will put on. 25 walks over the month of May you're putting on for yes, ordinary people like me. Exactly. <laughs> All different lengths. But then again, they do go on our regular programme as well. So, for instance, I think it's 10 of those will be evening walks for May. So open to our regular members and open to the public. Most of the rest are obviously during the mornings or afternoons, any day of the week, of course it can be, whatever suits the leader really. And those are mostly between, I would think, five and seven miles. 
this festival happens every year. I know it got cancelled in 2020 for obvious reasons, but why do you think walking's so popular, particularly in Bristol? Because I think it's the largest urban walking festival in the UK. Well, I, I think Bristol's extraordinarily blessed with green spaces within the city and around the city, with history and culture. So the opportunities to design the whole range of walks is just there. And from the Rambler's point of view, I mean, our charitable objectives are to encourage walking and to protect the sort of spaces in which walking can take place. And so the Walking Festival plays directly to our objectives. We're delighted to be able to contribute, which we've done since the since the very start of the Walking Festival mm. and have done our bit to try to open people's eyes to what's available on the doorstep. Do people need to come with any preparation? Do they need to have, I suppose they need waterproofs, walking boots? Can they come in their trainers? I would think that would depend on the terrain described within the walk description, you know, which will go out obviously with the programmes. So if it's inner city, then trainers will suffice almost certainly, you know. If you're going out in the country, I would just check on what the weather's been the last few days because if it's raining heavily, then the likelihood is that you'll need boots of some description anyway. And obviously waterproofs if it's going to rain on the day. Um, common sense, I think, really. Hmm. OK. Are the walks easy to get to? Will people have to drive to the start points or will there be meeting points in Bristol? Um, because most of them are taking place within Bristol or close to Bristol itself, Nearly all of them are accessible by public public transport. Um, there, there will be a bus stopping fairly close to the start point and the finish point mm. for, for, for the walk. So are you allowed to give me an indication of where you might be going? Well, uh, inevitably, Blaze will be very popular. You know, walks in that vicinity with Blaze car park featuring heavily, I suspect, as a starting point and finishing point. There are a couple of walks around South Bristol Parks linking together, I think one of them uh, visits as many as seven parks in a single half-day circuit. Ashton Court is a good destination, but there are a couple of more urban walks, just looking at buildings, looking at a bit of the history and views across the city. Phelan's, there's a couple of walks. And there's an evening walk on um, Lawrence Western Moor, which is amazing. Nobody knows it exists, a unique local bit of habitat, marshy habitat, close to the motorway, but most water of the time... Meadows, water you, meadows. Water meadows, I beg your pardon. Yeah. Close to the motorway, you wouldn't, but you wouldn't know that the motorway existed when you're, when you're walking in the water meadows. Well, I think we could leave it there, gentlemen. Thank you so much for updating us on the walks that are going to take place during the whole of the month of May, 25 walks run by the Ramblers. We look forward to seeing you on our walk. Well, that's it for this show. We'll hear more about the Ramblers in a later episode where we'll be joined by the chair of the Bristol Ramblers, Heather Toyne. And it'll include our expert, Nigel, who will talk about maps and the art of long-distance walking. You can find out more about Bristol Walkfest by visiting the website bristolwalkfest.com. This podcast was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer, and was sponsored by The Ramblers. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.